Hello, everyone, and welcome to the March 26th edition of WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Falls with Floyd, Scarin, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. The Court of Appeals says that an employer must bear the loss of a stolen and forged settlement check. Here's what happened in the published opinion of Barrett Business Services versus WCAB and Rafael Rivas. Rivas sustained injury to his low back while employed by Barrett Business Services Incorporated. In 2008, he resolved his case by way of a CNR for $20,000 less a $3,000 attorney fee. But his settlement check was mailed to the wrong address. The check was stolen and negotiated with a forged endorsement at a check cashing service and was paid by Barrett's bank. The issue to be determined by the Court of Appeal was who must bear the loss. The facts of the case showed problems caused by both sides that led to the check being sent to the wrong address. Rivas moved several times, but the notice of change of address was not always properly served. At times, his attorney served the notice on Barrett, but not on defense counsel or on Barrett's adjusting agent, Pinnacle Claim Service. In 2007, Barrett stopped using Pinnacle Claim Services and moved its claim unit in-house. But no notice of this change was in the workers' compensation file, which still listed Pinnacle Claim Services as adjuster of record. The compromise and release agreement itself bore an incorrect address. Applicant attorney Carl Feldman signed and forwarded the CNR with the wrong address on it. And at no point did Feldman change the incorrect address. Barrett mailed a $17,000 check to the address on the compromise and release. It was never received by Rivas, the claimant. The work comp judge held Barrett responsible for the stolen payment, and the WCAB denied reconsideration. And the Court of Appeals sustained the order holding the employer responsible. California Uniform Commercial Code, Section 3420, and the Uniform Commercial Code comment to that statute addresses the problem. Until delivery, the payee does not have any interest in the check, nor is the payee injured by the fraud. If the check is never delivered to the payee, the obligation owed to the payee is not affected. The WCAB order denying reconsideration was affirmed in the published opinion. An administrative law judge failed to prove post-injury discrimination in her claim against the state. In 1994, Susan Kleinman began working at the California State Personnel Board as an administrative law judge. In 2007, she was assigned to the board's Los Angeles office. While driving back from a hearing, she sustained a back injury in a rear-end auto collision. She filed a work comp claim and was awarded benefits. Kleinman never returned to work and has filed for disability retirement. Kleinman alleged in a civil disability discrimination suit filed against the California State Personnel Board that during two brief periods of time when she was released to work with restrictions, the board failed to bring her back with reasonable accommodations for her disability. Kleinman's alleged first window of availability was a five-week period of time from April to May 2008. Kleinman's doctor said she could return to work with no prolonged driving and no sitting for more than two hours per eight-hour shift. After 20 minutes of sitting, she must stand, stretch, and walk for 10 minutes.
However, Kleinman admitted in her deposition that her doctor never cleared her because she was never off of industrial disability leave. In any event, in May 2008, Kleinman's doctor reported she was unable to work again. Kleinman's second window of availability commenced on December 2008 and lasted 80 days until mid-February 2009. She was released by her doctor at that point to work with the restrictions of no driving more than two hours from home on the day of a scheduled hearing, driving was limited to the hours of 8 a.m. to 5 p.m., she could not walk more than two blocks at a time, and a 15-minute break was required after 40 minutes of driving and telecommuting each Friday. Kleinman's doctor took her off work status again after that brief period. Kleinman was never again released to work with or without restrictions. In moving for summary judgment in the civil case, the board contended that it engaged in a good-faith, lengthy interactive process with Kleinman. The board claimed its offer of a part-time position in Rancho Cucamonga was a reasonable accommodation, which would enable her to commute and work within her restrictions. And no full-time position and no location other than Rancho were possible within her work restrictions. The trial court granted the employer's motion for summary judgment and Kleinman's case was dismissed. The Court of Appeal, in the unpublished opinion of Susan Kleinman v. State Personnel Board, affirmed the dismissal. FIHA does not obligate an employer to choose the best accommodation or the specific accommodation a disabled employee or applicant seeks. It requires only that the accommodation chosen be reasonable. The trial court properly found the board reasonably accommodated her disability. More NFL teams have prevailed in arbitration against players. The National Football League and the Atlanta Falcons are suing nine former Falcons players to force them to litigate workers' compensation cases in Georgia rather than in California. A ruling by arbitrator Michael Beck ordered the nine former Falcons to halt their efforts to collect workers' comp benefits in California. When the suit to enforce the arbitration was filed, the players' claims were pending before the WCAB here in California. The former Falcons players include Roderick Coleman, Wilfrey Fontenot, Tony Gilbert, Kendall Moorhead, Stanley Pritchett, Karan Riley, Brett Romberg, Jason Webster, and Des White. The Atlanta suit is one of a number of federal suits the NFL and professional football teams are filing against hundreds of former football players who have lodged workers' compensation claims in California. California is the only state where professional athletes who have played as little as a single game in the state may file workers' compensation claims. The United States Supreme Court ruled in a Ninth Circuit Longshore Harbor worker case. Here's what happened in the case of Roberts versus Sealand Services Incorporated. Dana Roberts worked as a gatehouse dispatcher for Sealand Services in Dutch Harbor, Alaska. In 2002, Roberts slipped on a patch of ice at work and claimed compensation under the Longshore and Harbor Workers' Compensation Act. Initially, Sealand paid Roberts, but in 2005, they discontinued payments. 
In 2007, an administrative law judge ordered Sealand to resume payments, but a dispute arose concerning the proper method for calculating those payments. The ALJ first applied the national average weekly wage in 2002, the year Roberts was injured, which serves as a cap on benefits. Roberts argued that the act called for use of the 2007 average, which is the year in which the case was decided and the compensation order was issued. The Benefits Review Board affirmed the, work comp uh, the administrative law judge's findings. However, the United States Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit held that the administrative law judge should have applied the 2005 national average, which is the year the benefits were due. The Supreme Court granted certiorari to determine the appropriate method for calculating maximum compensation and to resolve a conflict among the circuits on this issue. It affirmed the position taken by the Ninth Circuit. Applying the national average weekly wage at the time of onset of disability avoids disparate treatment of similarly situated employees. Otherwise, the workers' argument to employees under this argument who earn the same salary and suffer the same injury on the same day could be entitled to different rates of compensation based on the happenstance of their obtaining orders in different fiscal years. Using the national average weekly wage for the fiscal year in which the disability commences discourages gamesmanship in the claims process. And now our fraud report. A Fontana man has been charged with one count of conducting business as an uninsured employer. Members of the San Bernardino County District Attorney's Office, along with the Contractor State License Board, conducted compliance checks of contractors working in the Rancho Cucamonga area in December. During the check, 30-year-old Francisco Barajas Castellanos and an employee were observed preparing the interior of a residence for painting. Barajas admitted that he was the contractor and business owner and that the employee was his employee. Barajas further admitted not having any workers' comp insurance. Prosecutors said that these unlicensed contractors can underbid jobs, causing an unfair advantage over those contractors who are licensed and have proper insurance. Barajas was arrested at his residence after a warrant for his arrest was issued, charging him with failure to secure workers' compensation insurance. He was transported and booked into the West Valley Detention Center, and his bail was set at $10,000. If convicted, Barajas faces one year in the county jail and a fine starting at $10,000. And in medical news, Broadspire will bring together representatives from a number of key industry organizations to discuss challenges in prescription drug management for workers' compensation claims during its first pharmacy summit. More than 50 brokers, practice leaders, clinicians, and others from major insurers, insurance brokerage firms, and pharmacy benefit management organizations will attend the summit, which will be held at Broadspire's Sunrise Florida Medical Management Headquarters. The intention of the summit is to focus on global industry issues, trends, and developments in the future. One key objective is to help identify common threads that tie together claimant, payer, employer, and carrier interests. The summit will include sessions on many topics such as 
pharmacy program measurement and outcomes, mail order prescription services and workers' comp programs, opioid prescription monitoring and management, physician dispensing of prescription drugs for workers' comp claims, jurisdictional updates on topics such as compound medications, and for states including Florida, Texas, California, and Illinois. Workers' compensation prescription drug use is on the rise and accounts for 19% of all medical costs related to work comp claims. The increasing use of opioid pain medications with their potential for abuse and addiction is also a significant concern. And in regulatory news, the Department of Industrial Relations and the Division of Workers' Compensation have scheduled two additional sessions for the public forums on workers' compensation. An afternoon session has been added in Sacramento on April 10th, and a new session in Costa Mesa has been added on the morning of April 17th. The forums are intended to discuss current issues in the workers' compensation system and to gather information from stakeholders and members of the public on suggestions for improvements. DIR Director Christine Baker and DWC Administrative Director Rosa Moran will host the forums. Seating is limited at many of the workers' compensation public forums, locations, and registration is required. Verbal testimony at the open forums will be limited to three minutes per speaker. Written testimony can be submitted to dir at dir.ca.gov in advance of the meeting. Executives representing the WCIRB member insurers met in San Francisco for the WCIRB's 96th annual meeting. At this meeting, the WCIRB membership elected new insurer members of the Governing Committee and Classification and Rating Committee to fill vacancies created by expiring terms. ACE Property and Casualty Insurance Company was re-elected and National Union Fire Insurance Company of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania and Zenith Insurance Company were newly elected to serve on the Governing Committee. Seabright Insurance Company was newly elected to the Classification and Rating Committee and Travelers Indemnity Company was re-elected. Terms for both committees are three years. WCIRB officials thanked outgoing Governing Committee members, Employers Compensation Insurance Company and Travelers Indemnity Company, and to outgoing Classification and Rating Committee member Comp West Insurance Company for their service. And in other news, a new study published in the Insurance Journal says that during the next 12 months, employers say cost containment is their number one workers' compensation insurance concern. Employers also expressed concerns about increasing exposures, renewals, and rising fraud behaviors. Almost half of all respondents to the survey reported a workers' compensation premium increase in the past year. Over 3,500 employers nationwide participated in the study. Participants came from 20 business sectors, with heaviest representation from manufacturers, healthcare and social assistance providers, and construction businesses. Participants said the most effective measure they took to control workers' comp cost was having a safety-minded culture. More than half also indicated that a light duty or return to work program was an effective or highly effective method of controlling costs. Other popular cost control measures were on-site accident evaluations, loss prevention evaluations, zero accident goals, 
having a dedicated claims manager, safety committee efforts, and using a preferred occupational medicine facility. Market availability was a concern of about a quarter of the respondents, and many were also worried about carrier stability. Arthur J. Gallagher and Company has been recognized by the Ethisphere Institute as one of the world's most ethical companies for 2012. Ethisphere reviewed hundreds of companies and evaluated a record number of applications. The list features companies in more than three dozen industries, including 40 companies headquartered outside of the United States. Rankings included reviewing codes of ethics, litigation and regulatory infraction histories, evaluating investments in innovation and sustainable business practices, looking at activities designed to improve corporate citizenship, and studying nominations from senior executives, industry peers, suppliers, and customers. Officials at Ethisphere say that a strong ethical foundation is a competitive advantage. As more and more organizations strive for this honor each year, Gallagher's inclusion as a world's most ethical company for 2012 demonstrates its industry-leading commitment to ethics and dedication to integrity. Arthur J. Gallagher & Company is an international insurance brokerage and risk management services firm. They are headquartered in Itasca, Illinois. It has operations in 17 countries and offers client service capabilities in more than 110 countries around the world through a network of correspondent brokers and consultants. And with that, that is all our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, for past editions of our news, and for much, much more. And please remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and our special reports using your iPhone, your iPad, or iPod by searching for the WorkComp Academy in the iTunes Store. Again, I'm Renee Foltz with Floyd, Scarin, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today, and please drop by again next week for more news.